0: I've had this conviction that's been growing in me over the last number of years, and, and I'll, I'll start out with just the uh, putting it out there, and then we'll kind of process it a little bit. Um, my conviction, and what, what I think I believe uh, about this is I think if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I think you're called to be a leader. I think you are called to be one who influences people around you. And I, I think God wants every single believer to be a leader. He wants you to be a leader. And now some of us might have varying degrees of a response to that, right? We could be, uh, like in the video clip, our our natural response might be, shut up, (laughs) right? There's no way we don't tend to think of ourselves that way. But Others of us, uh, that might be a welcome thing where we're like, yeah, I think I'm a leader. I think that I kind of think about myself in those kinds of ways. Some of us, it might bring out insecurity in us. Some of us might get pictures in our mind of a certain personality type where we think, well, I have to be an extrovert in order to be a leader. I need to be something that I'm not in order to be a leader. But I don't think that's true. Like I said, I think what we're going to see as we go through the day to and the upcoming weeks as we go through this series is that God wants you to be a leader wherever it is that he's put you. Let's, uh, yeah. Whatever your reaction is, I really do believe that God wants you uh, to be a leader and a good one. We're launching a new series today called uh, Leadership by the Book, and uh, this series is all about learning to embrace our call to leadership and learning about leadership from the best leader on the planet and, and the best leader in history. And today, I really only want to do two things as we do our message. I'm going to try and convince you and sort of open up our eyes a little bit to the fact that I really do believe that Jesus Christ is the best leader who ever lived. And number two is that part of part of what I want us to, to do today and to, to shine a light on is that he has made you and called you to be a leader and to have influence with those around you. So let's kind of... We're going to dig into those kind of things, but I want to start out by by just kind of having us consider this first thing, by thinking about Jesus, the leader. Now, it's interesting because when we start talking about Jesus, the leader, we don't often think of him that way, right? We might think we think of Jesus as the Savior, and rightly so, right? We think of G- Jesus as maybe the Son of God. We think of Jesus as all kinds of things, but oftentimes not the leader. When we t- when we think leader, we think people like Bill Gates, or we think of Martin Luther King Jr., or we think of Steve Jobs, or we think of business people... Uh, who have built empires or think of activists that in some way or another have impacted or shaped our society or our culture and certainly they are leaders but rarely do we put jesus into that category jesus the leader but i want you to think with me for a second what is a leader this is the part of the service where you get to talk so it's going to be interactive today so when you hear the word leader what do you think of what's a leader In fact, here's what we'll do. Why don't you go ahead and turn to a person or two around you. We'll start out small. So turn to a person or two around you and say, when you think of a leader, what do you think of? What comes to mind? Go ahead and talk about your answers, and then we'll come back together in a minute. Go ahead and talk amongst yourselves. All right, there's not a lot of talking going on. <laughs> All right, so what, what are some of the things you came up with? What do you th- what is, what's a leader? Influencer, what else? Fearless. Fearless, would you say mentor? Yeah, mentor, what else? Good. Motivator. What's that? Motivator. Motivator. Somebody you respect, good. Organizer, good, what else? Convicted, as in like haul them off to jail? <laughs> Dedicated. <laughs> Dedicated, yes, good. Anything else? Uh Not worried about what other people, these are great. I I thought I'd get us going today just to kind of spur us on with some quotes about leadership. I I tend to collect them, so I have a whole bunch of them. Uh, I'm just going to list a few. It says, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, or become more, then you're a leader. I think that's a great one. It's from uh, John Adams. Uh, Next one. Uh, I had this one in my office for a while. The the true spiritual leader is a man or woman willing to find God's way and walk in it with such integrity and enthusiasm that others become eager to follow him or her in it. They're prepared to stand up and be counted to accept the responsibility of being somebody that others look to for direction and up to in admiration. Gulp. Uh, How about this one? Martin Luther King uh, says this. A genuine leader is not a searcher for consensus but a molder of it. I think it's great. Uh, Max Dupree says the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. And in between, that leader is a servant. <laughs> that was a great quote as well. Uh, Napoleon said a leader is a dealer in hope. Right? I think in its simplest form, it goes back to what Melissa had said earlier. I think in its simplest form, kind of the definition that we're going to use throughout the series is a leader is somebody that influences those around them, they're an influencer others tend to follow them. You can, you can step into any business meeting or any group meeting of any kind, and you can sit there and listen as people debate things and people chime in and they share things. And then there'll be a moment when somebody who has influence in the group will speak and it'll sort of sway the the group as a whole. And they'll be like, yeah, what they said, right? And they may or may not be the formal leader of the group. They might just be an employee. They might just be a person that's on the team, but they're the leader. They're the one that has influence at that moment. There's an old leadership proverb that I cite sometimes, it's kind of fun, that says, he who thinks he is leading others when no one is following is merely taking a walk, right? Because at its core, leadership is influence. It's, it's other people saying, yeah, I'm going to follow, I'm going to go along with what they say or what they think or what they do or whatever. In Leadership really is influence. Now, I want you to stand back. If that's our definition, I want you to step back for a second and say, do you think Jesus had influence? Do you think Jesus has influence still? Let me, let me throw a few numbers out just to kind of get us going. 2.2 billion, that's with a B, billion people on the planet today, 2,000 years after he walked on this earth, 2.2 billion people would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. 2 billion people. You think that's influence? absolutely it's it's huge he is still impacting people today much of our system of government much of our judicial system is based off the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of God's book our calendar even what year is it what year is it it's March (laughs) yeah what year is it let's try that again it's 2019 it's 2019 years after what right After what does that influence? I don't know anybody else that stepped into history and redefined the calendar. Even words that Jesus taught and Jesus used still impact and trickle down into our culture and into our vernacular today. Things like we'll refer—you'll hear even in just in in secular culture, you'll hear people refer to like a a good Samaritan. We have a law called the Good Samaritan Law. Well, what's the Good Samaritan? It comes straight from a teaching of Jesus, right? Or or, uh, you'll hear sometimes people talk about. Um, You know, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I've got got friends and people that I know that will be like, oh, yeah, Abraham Lincoln said that. It's true. He did say that. But you know who said it first? Jesus, right? A house divided against itself will not stand. Those are the words of Jesus. His words even trickle down and shape culture. It shapes our language. It shapes how we think and, and the words that we use still today, hundreds of millions of followers of Jesus around the world claim that he is still speaking, claim that he is still leading and directing. They, they go to his word on a daily or on a regular basis to, to, to figure out what direction they should take for their life, how they should live, what they should do or not do. He is still impacting lives, still impacting eternity, still impacting marriages and families. And this is 2000 years after he walked on the planet. Now let me just say this, 2,000 years from now, you think anybody will recognize the name Trump? Seriously, probably not. 2,000 years? Seriously? Probably not. I mean, Bill Gates even? Jeff Bezos? I mean, like, uh, you wonder 2,000 years later? If so, it might be a footnote in a history book, right? 2,000 years later, he is still transforming lives. He is still everyday conversation. I'll be a predictor and say uh, probably in the next month he'll be on the uh, front page of Jesus. I mean, will be on the front page of Newsweek or on something because, uh, because of Easter. It happens virtually every year. He still makes headlines. right? He still impacts lives. And like I said, billions of people are still following him today. Jesus is a leader like no others. He has more influence than any other leader in human history ever has. He's still impacting lives today by the billions. Not only did he does he have influence like a leader, but he functioned like a leader. He does things that leaders do. And I'm, I'm just going to look at a few of these uh, kinds of things today to kind of to build our case and to set the stage for what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the series. This is just kind of an introductory sort of message today to get us thinking about leadership, to thinking about Jesus the leader and how that plays and trickles down uh, to us. Okay, so we're just going to kind of look at a few of these. But Jesus was a visionary. We kind of think of visionary leadership kind of stuff. He, he was a servant leader. He was a man on a mission. He was one that, that cast a big vision and invited other people into that and empowered other people and raised them up and sent them out on that mission and on that vision. He was a leader like no others. And like I said, we're just going to kind of walk through a few of these categories, four different categories, and think of Jesus as like I said, the the most significant leader of all time and then talk about what that means for us first one is a visionary leader. You can see it. I've got it up there. But Jesus had this amazing ability to both cast vision uh, for people and to give them sort of a a picture of a preferred future. It's like leadership lingo, right? Like he would would paint a picture of the kingdom of God or what relationship with God would look like that we're still talking about today, right? I mean, compelling kind of stuff. And it was stuff that was jaw-dropping. He would talk about a God that loved people, which again, Nobody talked that way about God in that day. he like, he's like a father that cares for you, right? He's like, a, he's like, you know, what I'm going on and on. But anyway, he would cast vision for people of what the kingdom would look like about, or about how they're supposed to live or about values that they should uphold or that kind of stuff. But not only that, but he would also sort of release and create vision in other people of how they saw themselves. And it would shift everything on its head. I want, to listen, want us to look at Matthew 5 as just an example uh, of this it comes from the Sermon on the mount and it 's a it 's really uh, it 's a portion of scripture where Jesus teaches probably the it 's the biggest chunk of a sermon like literally sermon of his uh, it, it, that we have, and they call it the Sermon on the Mount because people gathered around on the side of a mountain, right? Mount, they call us, hence the name, Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus sat there and taught them. He taught them about all kinds of things, and he cast a vision for them, and all this kind of stuff. But it, the, the group that gathered there in that day, it was just an ordinary group of people. These were probably not spiritual superstars. In fact, most of them probably would fall into the category of poor. Uh, they were probably not significant influencers, probably not people that thought of themselves as leaders in that day and age. And, uh, they weren't powerful or didn't come from uh, an educated background. They were probably working class or lower, just ordinary people. And Jesus looks at them, and he says this. And I want you to, I want to think about what, what, what he's saying here. Let's start starting with verse 13. Jesus is teaching, and he says to them, his, those that had gathered there, he said, You know what? You are the salt of the earth. If a salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it out on a stand, and it gives light to everybody in the house. He says, "In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven." Now, I love the picture of, of Jesus' leadership here because uh, you know now there are there are many times in ministry, like I said, where He paints pictures and He casts vision for what the kingdom is like or how they're delivered, whatever. But here, Jesus. Is, is casting a vision. It sort of takes it a step further. He's, he's speaking vision into the crowd. He's saying, man, this is who you are. This is who you are made to be. He looks at this ragtag group of uneducated, poor, ordinary men and women, people that could, the world could easily kind of discard as failures or look over as being not the cream of the crop. And he looks at them. He says, you know what? You're the light of the world. You're like salt that's poured out on the world. There's something extraordinary in you, Jesus is saying. If you live up to your God-given potential, God is going to use you in tremendous ways. He's going to shine his light through you to a world that desperately needs him. He's going to use you to preserve and to to sort of like a spice to some degree. And he's going to use you to make people thirsty for God. He's going to use you to keep this world on a path towards life. He's going to shine through you. But that light shouldn't be hidden. It should be put on a hill. It should be put on a stand so that everybody can see God wants to work in you and shine through you in such a way that hundreds and thousands of people around you will be impacted. They will will see God through you by the way you live, by the way you speak. He wants to use you as an influencer. Jesus is speaking. He's basically saying, I see potential in you. I see what God wants to do in you and through you, and it's significant. If you would just shine, if you would bring tremendous light into an incredibly dark world, Jesus unlocks this entirely new way for the crowd to see themselves. He calls out their potential. He unlocks vision for them about the way that God wants to use them about the potential they have for the kingdom and and the impact they can have, the influence they can have on others. Have you ever been around somebody like that before? Somebody that sees more in you than you see in yourself? Somebody that calls out something better, that calls out something more, that says, you know what, I see potential in you. God wants to use your, he's got his hand on you in a way that's powerful. He wants to use you in significant ways to impact the lives, the eternities even, of those around you. It's life-giving to be around people like that. And that's what Jesus does here. He speaks vision into people. That's what leaders do. He gives them glimpses of God's amazing love for them, of how great life can be with him in the picture. He brings good news and hope, and then he calls out vision out of people. And he does this all the time. You can see it uh, with Simon Peter. Some of you guys remember this story, right? Uh, Simon, he's sort of an impulsive, hot-headed, you know, Cut the ear off the high priest, kind of guy, right? I mean, he's sort of that kind of guy. He's just, he's a jump out of the boat kind of guy, jump without thinking, jump without doing. He's the kind of guy that will uh, say, I will never disown you, I will never step away from you, and then deny Jesus just a few hours later. That's Simon. And at one particular point in his ministry, Jesus turns and looks dead at Simon. He says, You know what, Simon? Here's the thing I'm going to call you Peter. Because I'm going to use you. Peter means rock. He said, because you're going to be like the rock that I'm going to use to build my church. And it's, it's going to be the kind of church that not even the gates of hell could stand against it. He looks at him and says, I see you, Peter. I see the potential. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. I'm going to fill you, empower you. I'm going to raise you up. And I'm going to use you in ways that you can't even imagine. Gonna, it's going to leave you in awe. It's going to leave you at sometimes on your knees, saying, "Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man." It's going it's to be jaw dropping to see what I can do through you. It's Jesus, the leader. He does this all the time. Not only does he cast a vision of a preferred future for God's people, but he speaks into individuals and he says, "You know what? I see potential." He says, "You're the light of the world." I'm going to shine, I'm going to put my light inside of you, and I'm going to shine through you and use you in ways that, that will draw people to Jesus, that will bring my kingdom to come in powerful, powerful ways. not that crazy? Jesus, the visionary leader. Jesus was a master at this, and as we'll see, it's part of what he calls you and me too as well. If you're a Christ follower, you're a leader, and part of of what that means is God wants to use you as well to be that vision caster, that dream releaser in people saying, you know what, I'm I'm not going to just see the worst. We live in a day where we try to find the worst in everybody and everything, do we not? It's social media in a nutshell. It drives me insane. Like, let's find the worst things in everybody and just point them out, and we'll all, I don't know, sing some funeral dirge as we do that. or so I don't know what, what but it's, it's like negative, 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 negative. And, and, and part of what leaders do is they, they, rec, they define reality, they recognize reality, but then they say, man, look ahead. What could God do in you? A, a, as you cooperate with the Holy Spirit, imagine what God might do to move his kingdom forward, to transform your life, to bring something good, to bring healing and fullness on and on. We're called, all of us, are called to be leaders. Sort of that vision releaser in other people. Dream releasers for God's kingdom. Second thing, servant leader. And I just, Jesus the servant leader. I just have to say, Jesus like... It entirely invented this category, right? Up until this point uh, in that day, you, you basically had a monarch or you had like the emperor in the in the Roman kind of uh, way uh, up here. And then you had pretty much everybody else that was down here, right? And the emperor would have, uh, they'd live large. They'd enjoy lavish living, silver and gold and chariots and servants and palaces and a whole host of wives or lovers or whatever. People uh, aspired to be the leader so that they could... Uh, have amazing wealth, and they could use the power for their own personal gain. Can you think of any category of people that that sounds like today? <laughs> it kind of sounds like politicians, doesn't it, or whatever. Lots of, lots of different categories. It, it, it's similar today, but especially in that day, man, there was the emperor, and he was supreme, right? And then there was everybody else was sort of down here. Jesus comes along, and instead of, instead of coming to get this is crazy. Instead of Because that's what the emperor is all about. right? It's like, give me, give me, give me, give me. I want power. I want armies. I want women. I want gold. I want, I want to conquer more territory. Instead of Jesus comes as God, and instead of saying, man, I want to get, 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 he came to give. Listen to some of his teaching on this, on this whole topic. This is some of the greatest teaching on leadership ever. But Jesus says this. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, who's the Son of Man, by the way? Jesus. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In recent years, there's been all kinds of stuff written on this kind of leadership, on servant leadership. Uh, Jim Collins was one of them I was thinking of earlier this week, wrote, wrote a business book, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago called Good to Great. And he, did, uh, he, he studied all kinds of businesses over the long holidays looking for the difference of, of what makes some companies good, like where they pop up and they look really good for a short period of time and then they kind of fall off. Versus what, what, why is it that some companies are great over a long period of time? And he had a lot of different ways he defined that. And they, did, they dug through all this data and they did interviews and they, uh, he's written books on it and all that kind of stuff. One thing kind of bubbled to the surface. He said it's the kind of leader that's at the helm. And he talked about a servant leader. He calls him level five leader. Somebody that, that not only has the drive and the will to achieve and to push forward, but somebody also that's marked by intense personal humility. Somebody that's leading the organization that it's not really about them. They're happy to give away credit, right? They're happy, they're happy to, to stoop down and serve and lift up those around them. It's not really about them. They're servant leaders, so there's stuff that's written about this that pops up even in the business world today. But back in Jesus' day, nobody talked like that. Like, what would be the point, right? What would be the point? No, if you get power, you want to hold on to it. You want to use it to get what you want. But Jesus flips the entire thing on its head. He said, "No, let me paint for you a picture of the way leadership is meant to be." I mean, on lots of different occasions, right? He stoops down and he he washes the feet of his followers. He says that's leadership. In fact, he says to his followers, he said. You know what I've done here? I've, I've served you. I've set an example for you. Now you will be blessed if you go out and serve others that way. Servant leadership, it's, it's powerful. I mean, think of a, 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 I mean a leader that would come, one that would come as the son of God, the, the one that deserves everything, and yet he came not to be served but to serve and to even give his life for you one that would be willing to go to a cross, one that would be willing to be whipped and mocked and spat upon and crucified and die because it was better for his followers if he did. Jesus says that's leadership. That's leadership. Leadership that stoops down, that serves, that lifts others up. He says that's leadership. It's the kind of leader he was. It's the kind of leader he is. It's the kind of leaders he calls his followers to become. That's leadership. Third one, mission-driven. Jesus had a kind of focus about him. He was on a mission, and he knew exactly what to say yes to and what to say no to, and he was driven by this uh, every moment of his life. In fact, starting out from a very, very young age, this is just crazy. Uh, His parents, you guys might remember, came. They all came together as a family uh, into town. They start taking off in a big caravan heading home, and all of a sudden, a couple of days later, they're like, "Where's Jesus? I thought you had him. No, I thought you, I thought he was with you, right?" His parents lost the son of God. That doesn't seem like a good thing, right? They lost Jesus, and so uh, they finally come back uh, and they find him. They find him uh, in the temple. They find him meeting with some of the elders and that kind of stuff. And Jesus has this amazing, uh, again, even as a boy, he has this amazing answer, and, his response is this he says didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house and uh, even another translation says didn't you know I need to be about my father's business even from real early on there was a clarity and a focus and a drive of his entire life saying you know what I'm living for the pleasure of my to please my father to live out the mission that he's given me listen to this Samaritan woman at the well uh, he got into a conversation with one day we read about this in John 4 and his disciples go away, get some food they come back and they're bothered that Jesus is having this interaction with this Samaritan woman, right? They're like, I can't believe you're talking to somebody like that. They're worried that maybe Jesus has eaten with her and had some unclean food or whatever and uh, Jesus' response is this to his disciples he says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. It's fascinating. My food, he says, is to be consumed by God's will for my life. That's the one thing that I'm living for. I live to do and to finish the work that God has given me. What's that that mission? What's that work that it's referring to? Jesus talks about it in lots of places, but Luke 19.10 is one of them, where he says, for the Son of Man, this is why I've come, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What's the lost? What's he talking about? Sinners. And who would be sinners? That would be all of us, right? He came to save the likes of us right? He came to save people like you and and me. Save us from our sin. Bring us back home. Back into relationship with God. Back into his kingdom. That is why he came. And even you you walk through his life. I mean, it's it's fascinating the kind of clarity he had. People would, he'd he'd stay up late one night and he'd heal some people or he'd minister to people. And the next day, the people would come looking for him. The crowds would come looking for him. And his disciples would say, Jesus, the whole town showed up. You got to go back. And Jesus said, no, uh, I got to go to other towns too because that is why I have come right there's this clarity where he'd say yes and no in different instances in different situations where he could kind of walk through that not being swayed by the crowd you walk all you see that all the way to the end of his life this is at the very end this is crazy Uh, John 19 says this later knowing that all was now completed and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled Jesus said I am thirsty this is on the cross And then two verses later, when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. I have completed the work that the Father has given me. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus was intensely focused on his mission to complete the work the Father had given him, the work of seeking and saving the lost, of bringing people back home to God. He was crystal clear on this. In fact, when other people tried to pressure him into doing what they wanted him to do, he wouldn't fall for it. He'd say, No, my time has not yet come, or No, that's not why I've come. That's not what the Father has asked me to do. He was focused on his mission. And that's not always an easy thing, is it? I mean, man, we live in a day that is so divided, uh, that is so distracted, that there's 10,000 things, you know, chirping at us every moment of every day to, Hey, do this and do this, and your phone's oh, somebody else just you know, mentioned you or somebody texted you or somebody, you know, this, our apps are popping up on there saying, oh, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. And we get emails and we get phone calls. and we, our, our focus gets so divided that we end up living our lives not on mission. We end up living our lives in such a way that we are deluded to just going along with whatever att- attracts our attention at that given moment. And Jesus didn't live that way. He lived with a clarity of mission, and and he chose what to say yes to, what to say no to. He chose where to focus his energy, and that is why he lived such an intentional and a purpose-filled life. I heard a guy uh, one time named Jack Gropel uh, share on managing and leveraging emotional energy uh, towards just e- extraordinary outcomes in their life. He tra- trains basically CIA and FBI agents on how they can unleash their full potential. And he said this he said, uh, He said in order to basically, well, I'll just put it this way. He says, says, we give our life to whatever we give energy to. And he went on to say, every time you give your time or your energy to something, you're stealing it from something else. He says, mission is what allows you to choose ahead of time what you're going to give your life to. I'm not sure if you thought about this much, but Jesus did not solve all the problems of the world while he was on the planet. He didn't end wars. He didn't end world hunger. He didn't do away with all of the injustice in the world. He didn't heal everybody that needed it. He didn't address every need that he saw. In fact, he left most of the world's problems undone. Because he chose to become human, he too had limitations on his time, limitations on his energy. And so he had to choose how he was going to spend his one and only life, his one and only 33 years that God had given him on this planet. And so Jesus accepted this very specific and this very narrow mission that the Father had given him. He came, like we talked, to seek and to save the lost. He came to save us to bring us back home to the Father, to forgive us for our sins and so that he can send his spirit to live inside of us. He came to change us, to transform and heal and restore us to God, to put his spirit in us so that we could go back out and accomplish his mission for us in this world. He came to change you and came to change me so that we could live out our mission from God in this world. And that takes us to the last point of not only was he a a man on a mission, but he was a multiplying leader. He came and multiplied his work through his followers. His plan all along was to invest in just a handful of others, to disciple them, to train them, raise them up, and send them back out to be world changers in his name. He came to change Peter and John, a couple of the disciples, so that they could heal the lame man that was sitting at the temple gate. It's interesting, I was thinking about that story this week. It's found in Acts, the book of Acts. And it tells us that he sat, this, the same guy, this lame man, sat at the temple gate every day for 40 years. And I was thinking about that and thinking, well, Jesus went to the temple. He went to the temple quite a few times, in fact, which means Jesus more than likely walked by this guy. He needed healing. He was a lame man. He walked by this guy day in and day out, and Jesus didn't heal him, but instead he transformed a couple of fishermen by the name of Peter and John so that one day he could heal this this lame man through them. And Jesus transformed the life of a man named Paul so that he could go and share the power of the gospel, share about Jesus with Caesar and with those that were in prison and those that weren't Jews. And later in human history, he transformed a, another woman, by the, we call her Mother Teresa, so that she could go to Calcutta and serve the poor and serve those that had leprosy there. And he chose to transform you and your life, to intervene in your world so that he could put his spirit in you, so that he could raise you up and disciple you and send you out on mission to Peoria or Bartonville or Pekin or Morton or Dunlap. Jesus chose, instead of trying to do everything, he chose to fulfill his mission, and he does it through his people. He saves them. He came to seek and to save them. He raises them up. He puts a spirit in them. He sends them back out on mission. That's what Matthew 28 talks about. We call it uh, the Great Commission. This is Jesus' sort of final standing orders that he leaves to his followers. And it says, He says this Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, he says to his followers, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's leadership language. I have power and authority, he's saying but I'm giving it to you, he says to his followers. And now I'm sending you out on a mission. He says, go and make more disciples. Go and be salt and light to this world that desperately needs it. Go and be my witnesses, he says. Go and live as my priests or my ministers in a world that desperately needs to be ministered to. Tell those around you that there is good news. There's freedom and forgiveness and salvation found in Jesus Christ alone. Go. I'm sending you out on mission. I will be with you. I will be in you, I will empower you but my plan is for you to go, go and impact the poor Go and live out justice. Go and rescue people who are trapped in addictions or sins or patterns from the past. Go in the power of my spirit and let your co-workers know that there is a new and better way to live that's found only in a relationship with Jesus. Go and lead, he's saying. Go and influence those around you. Go in my power, God says, in my presence. Go and impact my world in my name. That's what he calls us to. It's the life of a leader. It's the life of a Christ follower. Jesus is the best leader there ever was. And part of his plan and strategy since day one has always been to seek and to save you, to raise you up, and to send you back out to live out his mission in this world. He wants to use you to influence the fabric of society. He wants to to use you to influence people in your workplace, people in your family. Does that include your kids? Does that include your spouse? if you got one? Yeah. Does that include your neighbor? Co-workers? Includes everybody you lock eyes with, right? God's got a mission field for you. And he wants to use you as a leader. He wants to raise you up as his disciple, as a servant. Absolutely. But then send you out to be like him in a world that desperately needs Jesus. Let me do one. Uh, i got time for one more story, and I'm gonna, I'll share this, and then we'll kind of wrap up for today. There's a story uh, I read about um, Ernest Gordon, who was a British Army officer captured by the Japanese in World War II. He was put in a labor camp, was forced to, along with thousands of others, to build a railroad through the jungles in Thailand uh, under unbelievable conditions. If you've ever heard of The, the Bridge Over the River Kwai, this, that movie was actually based on this true story. It's crazy. The prisoners had to work in 120-degree heat. Their bodies were stung by insects, ravaged by disease. Their feet were bare, and they'd be cut on the stones. If a prisoner appeared to be slacking off, a guard would beat him to death or sometimes decapitate him in full view of the other prisoners. It was barbaric. It was a horrible situation to live in. If you survived, they would work you until you were too sick to go on, and they, then they would put you in this little hut they called the death house, and they would leave you in there to bake to death. It was horrible. 80,000 men died trying to build this railroad. That's 393 corpses for every mile of track. It's really happened. It's crazy. The prisoners who survived were I mean I mean you could imagine. were so Tortured in such bad uh, state that they lived like animals. The strong would beat the weak for just a few grains of rice. In fact, it was commonplace. The only thing that kept them alive was hate. It was a culture of death, the author writes, until one day a work detail had finished for the day when one of the guards shouted that one of the shovels was missing and demanded to know which prisoner had stolen it nobody confessed. And so he screamed that he was going to kill every person that was on that work crew. He took his rifle and he aimed it at the first guy in line. He was going to walk down the line and just shoot one after the other. And at, at this point, one guy, an enlisted man, stepped forward and said, I did it. I stole it. Well, one of the guards threw him to the ground, started to kick him and beat him over and over and over. Finally took the butt of his gun and crashed it against his skull killed him but even after he was dead they kept kicking him and beating him and over and over and over that evening when the tools were uh, were inventoried again the work crew discovered that they had made a mistake all the shovels were there and accounted for nobody had stolen anything and that night one of the prisoners remembered a verse from the Bible that says "There's greater love as no has no man than this that he laid down his life for his friends And suddenly something began to change in these prisoners. So something began to happen in the camp. Prisoners started acting like leaders. They started to treat other dying people with respect. They started giving funerals, started making graves with a cross on top, reminding them of of who they were and how they were to live. People who were strong began to actually give their food to people who were weaker. Ernest Gordon himself had been paralyzed with fever. He'd been laid out in the death house and was waiting to die. He'd written his final letters, and that was it. He he was just waiting. Then some men came in. They carried him out. Some prisoners gave him their food. They massaged his leg muscles. They cleaned his latrine. He hadn't thought about God for a long time, but now suddenly he found himself wondering if maybe there was something to this God thing. They ended up forming a little church in this camp where people were dying by the thousands. They formed a little church and Ernest Gordon became the unofficial pastor. They planted a garden, started growing medicinal plants to help people who were sick. It's an amazing story. They eventually formed uh, what they called the Jungle University and they started teaching courses in history, philosophy, science, and over nine language including Latin, Greek, Russian, and Sanskrit. They created an alternative culture to the culture of death. These men influenced the the entire culture of their camp. They changed the lives and probably even the eternities of hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of others. That's leadership. It's influence. It's the kind of kingdom leadership that Jesus certainly modeled all the way to giving his own life. But it's the kind of leadership that he calls us to as well every day of our lives to, to, to bring his kingdom to come on this earth to impact, the, to, to, to live as light and salt in a world that needs it, to impact the lives, the eternities of those around us. It's the kind of leadership that we're called to. It's the kind of leadership the leaders were made to be. And it's what we're going to be talking about throughout the rest of the series. I hope you enjoyed us. We're going to spend the next four weeks uh, kind of up till Easter talking about what does that look like? How can we live out? How can we live and influence those around us in the ways that we are called to? How can we follow our Savior, our leader, Jesus, and live the kind of lives that we're made for. Hope you can join us. Why don't I pray for us, and we'll wrap up for the day. Father, we are thankful for your tremendous leadership, um, the ways that you have come after us, the ways that you have redeemed and saved, the ways you have put your spirit inside of us, and the ways that you use us even, or the ways that you call out vision and see potential in us the ways that you have served us and stooped down, even sacrificed yourself so that we can live. Lord, we give you thanks. And we pray, God, would you make us like you? Would you teach us to follow you, to become more and more like Jesus? May we become humble leaders, leaders that serve, leaders that lift up those around us, leaders that influence even the culture in which we live pray that you would use us and just teach us, raise us up, Lord, to live every day of our lives to see the culture of your kingdom come more, a culture of life, a culture of healing, a culture of redemption, a culture of restoration. Would you come and do that in us and through us, God? Would you teach us to live on mission with you? And Lord, in the same way that, that you... Uh, that you multiply and raise up and send out. May we be people that do the same, people that raise up disciples and leaders, that that lock arms and live together for your kingdom, for your glory, for the mission that you've given to us. We love you, God. We need you. We lift these things up in Jesus' name. We're going to continue our worship by uh, giving to the Lord our tithes and offerings. You can also take your uh, communication cards and throw them in mm-hmm. as they come by. If you're here just kind of checking out, ignite today, or checking out God's stuff, you can let the uh, the, mm-hmm. the buckets pass you by. You're a guest. We're glad you're here. We've got one uh, final song that we'll use as a wrap up here in a moment, and then we'll be done for the day.